Hello everyone and welcome to RadChat, the first therapeutic radiographer-led oncology podcast. Welcome to podcast number 36. My name is Naaman Joker Anderson and I'm joined by my fellow host Joe McNamara. Evening everyone. A big thank you to our last guest, Yatman Sang, who discussed his career to date, advanced practice and equality, diversity and inclusion. If you haven't had a chance yet, please do go and take a listen. Um, so we're very pleased to introduce our guest for this evening, Claire O'Neill, who we're discussing her treatment journey and her role at the charity Copperfield. Hi Claire. Hi, thanks for having me. So Claire, could you tell us a bit about yourself and if you feel comfortable, your experiences of cancer? Yeah, of course. So um, I am a nurse by background um, and I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2017. So my kind of diagnostic journey is that I um, was in the bathroom one day and I was looking in the mirror and I um, saw a dimple in my breast, um, which I hadn't seen before. I knew it was not right, not normal for me. Um, and I kind of had a feel around at that point and felt what kind of could be a lump, I guess. Uh, it felt like an area of hardness. I went to my GP, even though I was a nurse, I hadn't felt a breast tumour before. I didn't know I'd actually avoided oncology completely for, for whatever reason. So I didn't know about oncology. Um, I went to my GP and my GP actually felt that um, it couldn't be breast cancer. And, and actually told me that. Um, and very quickly, he felt that because I previously had a bad chest infection. Actually, I had pneumonia um, and I had a chest CT. And he said, well, I can't see your chest CT, but um, I know that if I could see it, <laughs> if anyone saw it, then they would see a breast tumour if you had a breast tumour. Um, but he did the right thing anyway, crucially, and referred me to the breast clinic. I was referred to the breast clinic, I think I was seen about a week later at St. Bart's Breast Clinic. Um, and um, they told me there and then that it was uh, breast cancer. Um, and obviously that was a huge shock. I was only 33 at the time. Um, I am incredibly grateful to St. Bart's for how well I was treated there. Um, immediately I realized that there was this misconception between primary care and secondary care because um, I asked the um, radiologist at St. Bart's when I was diagnosed, um, oh, my GP said that it would have showed up on my chest CT for the pneumonia. And he said, oh no, I'm looking at that CT now and I can't see it. So even before I worked at Copperfield, um, which is where I work now and I've have done since 2019, um, and which is a breast cancer awareness and education charity aimed at younger people. Um, immediately, I realized then that there were misconceptions in healthcare around uh, breast cancer and, and, and diagnosis of breast cancer. Um, so my experience was I was diagnosed at, at stage two. Um, I had surgery, radiotherapy, um, hormone therapy, um, and um, I didn't go back to clinical practice um, not for a while. I have since gone back to clinical practice. Um, but then I, in 2019, got the job at Copperfield, um, had a very, obviously, very personal connection to breast cancer. Um, and it became my job then to talk about breast awareness and um, to write our health information for the, for the charity um, and also to talk to healthcare professionals about um, some of these misconceptions and how we can improve health promotion for patients and um, and how we can improve breast awareness. 
Claire, can I ask, did you have any breast cancer previously in your family? No, I didn't. It was actually estrogen positive breast cancer that I had, um, which I understand is the most common type of breast cancer. Um, I have had cancer in the family, but not breast cancer. Um, I was on the pill for 10 years or more. Um, so, but again, we, we, I don't know why I got breast cancer. Um, I did say to my oncologist once, could it be that? And as a very good oncologist, she responded by saying, could be, we don't know, which is just what I love from clinicians. You know, <laughs> that thing of, we want to know that that's what I loved about my GP referring me anyway, even though he felt it couldn't be. Because he said, I can feel what you can feel and I can see what you can see. And as healthcare professionals, we we are curious. We want to know, you know. And if we don't know, we should say we don't know. And so, um, so no, I haven't had breast cancer in my family. Um, I don't know why I got breast cancer. Um, but I did. And I'm very grateful for St. Bart's and for the treatment that I had. And were you aware of kind of self-examinations? I know you said being a nurse, but outside of oncology... Um, you kind of had a medical background, but did you know how to do a self-breast examination? No. And this is the crucial thing because when I talk about this, um, one of the main things that we say to patients, um, to the public, to anyone really, is there is no correct way. Um, and so I, again, I, I avoided oncology as a, as a professional Um and I didn't really know. I, I, I straight away thought to myself, oh, my God, if this is breast cancer, I've not learned anything. I've deliberately stayed away from cancer. So I'm not going to know anything. But it didn't matter ultimately, because what mattered was I knew my body and I knew that this wasn't right for me. This wasn't normal for me. And that's the message that we try and give out to everyone, really, which is to say, you don't need to be an expert. You don't need to know a proper technique or anything like that. You don't need to be a healthcare professional. You just need to know your body and feel confident that you know your body. Yeah, I agree. Thank you for sharing, Claire. Do you find that now you're working in it when you've avoided it and now you've had treatment? As does it get easier to talk about it with other people? Yeah, it does. You know, um, I, I, I think um, I'm in a good position, really, um, especially at work, um, that I've been through that kind of diagnostic process and, and I have some understanding of it. Once you get beyond that, really everyone's story is different. Um, and even diagnostically, people's stories are different. But when people start having treatment and, you know, Ev all, even breast cancer, every breast cancer really is kind of different and unique to that person and their journey is going to be different. Um, but I can, when I talk about that diagnostic process of going to the GP, then maybe being referred and that fear as well. And, you know, we always say to people, nine times out of nine out of 10 people who go to the breast clinic are not given a breast cancer diagnosis. You know, the breast clinic is for a lot more than that. Um, so in some ways you could say I was one of the unlucky ones, but I think I was one of the lucky ones really, because I was diagnosed early. Um, and I was, you know, very fortunate in, in the treatment that I was given and, and lots of things that the support I was given, I was actually given fertility treatment. So some things, you know, are, are tricky to talk about. People don't often talk about things like fertility when it comes to cancer, because we, think of cancer as something that affects older people um 
but um so that's you know that that's a tricky thing to talk about sometimes because people don't think about those kind of um side effects i suppose or outcomes of treatment you know infertility is probably you know when we talk about you know side effects or t what has happened as a result of my treatment that's the biggest most impactful thing that's happened is is infertility i could give you a list of um side effects and other you know other ailments and other things that have happened because of my treatment but that's the biggest one so it, some things are tricky conversations to have um but mostly when it comes to that diagnostic process and the confidence and being able to say to people you know your body best than anyone else I know that because I've been through that and I didn't I wasn't an expert and I wasn't sure I had doubts but um I do I do know about that so yeah that helps yeah it's a lot of knowledge and almost first-hand knowledge probably something you never wanted but that I think in a way when you know I think with Joan well I always say I've never had cancer so yes I can understand it to an extent what our patients go through but it's that unique experience which isn't nice but that empathetic compassionate side where you know well actually I've been through that I've been on a radiotherapy treatment couch I know exactly how it feels how to be cold yeah. I know when Dr Liz Aridin came on and talked about her experiences and Sarah Lianaga as well like it was honestly it was quite eye-opening for a lot of people with the feedback we've had yeah um I suppose just touching on the side effects and stuff that you mentioned did you have a lot of support or any support with the sort of fertility side of things um when you were going through yeah I did um at, well I think as a at, um uh, anywhere you're treated in, in the UK for um cancer at a certain age you know actually that day in the breast clinic when I was diagnosed the um I was in a room with the surgeon and my husband was with me thankfully and um a clinical nurse specialist and as a nurse I was thinking this isn't good <laughs> You know, if you just, I didn't know anything about oncology, but you know, if you've worked in healthcare for long enough, you know, to pick up on certain silences and certain things, I just thought this isn't good. But one of the first things she said to me, the the, the breast surgeon at Bart said, uh, do you have children? And we said, no. She said, do you want any? And I thought, oh my God, I just found out I've got breast cancer and now I'm being asked that. But um, they did everything they could to make sure that um, we had the best possible chance at having our at having a family um, or getting pregnant, I should say. Um, and over since 2017, I've had about five cycles of IVF um, and they were unsuccessful and we decided to stop. But um, I'll always be grateful to Bart's for, you know, giving us that opportunity because it's it, it's so huge. It's such a big part of people's lives, you know, and they take the idea of having a family for granted um so I did get support I got counseling through Barts as well through the fertility services there um it was still ongoing throughout the pandemic how they did it and like with so many sections of healthcare I don't know how people <laughs> managed to make it work and carry on treating patients throughout the pandemic but they did um and I'm very grateful for that so um yeah I got I got really good support and um I can't fault it frankly. Honestly, Claire, as someone who has gone through countless cycles of IVF, I can only empathise with having to make that decision. And you're incredibly brave, like incredibly brave, because I, I even even talking about it now, 
it's really emotive for me really emotive it's mm. it's um something that i think lives with you it's part of you and anyone who has to go through that let alone also a cancer diagnosis i just think you know you deserve a medal and everyone who ever has to go through that <laughs> deserves some kind of recognition well, thank you. Because it's it's tough, uh, even for anyone who has never had to go through an IVF cycle. Just the amount of injections you need, and for someone like me who faints at every opportunity, the amount of healthcare professionals that used to have to pick me up off the floor. Um, yeah, so yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing. Oh no, I mean it's you know it's the reality. It's the reality of what it is, and you know I know that. Um, it may have been in my future anyway, even if I hadn't had a, that diagnosis. Um, but um, it was definitely going to be in my future having had the cancer diagnosis. Um, and uh, fertility preservation was always going to be a part of what my treatment would involve. Um, but, you know, I feel like you're right. It is hard to talk about. It is hard to talk about because it's only been a recent thing for me as well, really. It's only been sort of last year, at the end of last year, that we decided we were going to call it quits and we weren't going to continue with this. My body had been through a lot since 2017. Um, and so, you know, it's a hard thing to talk about, but it's the reality. If I'm talking about my experience, I feel like I'm not really doing it justice if I don't talk about that part of it because um, it was huge. But, um, you know, again, we're lucky. I, and, you know, if I was in the States or any other country, maybe I wouldn't have had that as part, you know, all for free as part of my treatment. So I'm I'm incredibly lucky that I was treated at St. Bart's and, and got that opportunity. Yeah. And I think something you've touched on as well is that, yes, we're a lot better at catching cancers early. Um, people are obviously being treated a lot quicker, better, they get through the pathway, but it's the after effect that you might have had finished your treatment quite quickly, but the effects of from any of the side effects from any of forms of treatment so you know chemotherapy i know you didn't have it but radiotherapy and the hormone treatment that can last for up to five years and more it is that burden afterwards um yeah. i know there's a lot of work now being mm. put into late effects um obviously know more about radiotherapy but um i know zoe grant is doing a lot of work so someone who we've worked with before um in primary care so as you talked about earlier about the bridging the gap between primary care and then obviously us in secondary care yeah. there isn't a lot that's known and actually once patients finish with us we don't see them we we see patients for a very small snapshot in radiotherapy but yeah. actually knowing that after they've been discharged by us and they may have let's say the next appointment with the uh, with their consultant in six weeks and then their mammogram which might be another eight months later actually yeah. there isn't much else going on in between yeah. and that's where primary care I think could be really great to come into it um so things hopefully in the future will start to improve in, in that support respect for patients yeah I hope so yeah I do have fond memories and it sounds strange to say but um really good memories of therapeutic radiographers and um and my time in radiotherapy um it was, uh, it's hard. That's the thing I think uh, cancer patients will will tell you and, and I, I was kind of warned about before. Um, I can't speak about chemo because I didn't have chemo, um, but it was hard. Radiotherapy was hard, it was tiring, but it was always quiet at Bart's when I was treated. Um, and it was just, it was, um, it became a bit of a, you know, a ritual because you'd go in every day. I was walking in every day. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, again, I was I was treated brilliantly, and it always felt like a it felt like a weird thing because I knew that 
over time it was causing me a lot of like tiredness fatigue you know burns all those kind of things but it was a it was a weird kind of ritual something about the ritual of going in every day was really nice um and the therapeutic radiographers were fantastic oh that's really um reassuring to hear but I definitely hear from lots of patients who say exactly that they actually miss having that contact with not necessarily therapeutic radiographers but that daily kind of process of right I'm going to get up I'm going to go and get ready now I'm going to go to treatment we're going to get through that we're going to have a conversation I'm going to get to see people and um typically I would say as well for anyone who is about to start radiotherapy it isn't a depressing place to be quite often people are like oh I'm going to go to a cancer hospital and I'm going to sit in a radiotherapy department with everyone who has cancer it is going to be really depressing and solemn place to be and I you know working in a radiotherapy department I've never felt like that if anything it's always quite a pleasurable place to be which again sounds really bizarre but our patients generally I think offer lots of peer support to each other and and I think it also gives people a bit of a chance to relax and if they want to talk about their cancer they can because I don't know about you Claire but you know from some of the patients that I've liaised with they feel like they can't always talk about it with friends or family or they maybe censor themselves because they can't just blurt out well actually I'm feeling like this today and I'm really scared and I'm anxious because they don't necessarily want to create any fear in those people that are closest to them did you experience any of that yeah I definitely did um and even you know talking about anything that is um that you need to be in it to know to understand it really you know having us talking about IVF earlier and you saying sharing that you'd experienced it as well there's something that makes me think okay this person understands and when you've been through a cancer diagnosis it's the same even though nobody's experience is the same you know it that bit that camaraderie that you get during treatment um is is it really helps it really is helpful it's beyond that that it becomes tricky you know I know that I wouldn't be the first cancer patient to say once you end your treatment and you're however many years you may be in remission you may be living with cancer then it becomes tricky you know how you navigate it where how much of your life it takes up and and how you talk about it then um but yeah I mean having knowing that somebody's been through it there's just a shorthand you know it's just like any experience really um there's a shorthand there and it becomes easy and you feel relieved that people understand where you're coming from yeah I think that's really important and did you find you had lots of access to support resources should you have needed them during your radiotherapy yeah I yeah I absolutely did um I did a lot of uh research online as well of you know um what to expect as well um I was I was probably a little too prepared but then I had I did um have you know, there's just small things really that are helpful. Um, I had a friend um, that went through a, a breast cancer diagnosis as well um, a year or two after me. And I was able to say, oh, these are the creams that are really useful to to use. And this is the deodorant that I used when I was having radiotherapy. And, you know, because there's certain things you can't use. And um, I mean, it was just an excuse to buy products, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> But um, but it is nice to be able to say, oh, okay, you know, this is this worked, this doesn't work so well, and 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I was, I, I had the support there as well. I had, um, you know, mental health support, counseling support, um, you know, it, it was all there. And I think with the NHS, you know, in general, if you're going through something really big and something that's an acute problem or an emergency or a big thing, big diagnosis, the NHS is so great at that. Um, and where it's, you know, where it has fallen down because, you know, it's been kind of not funded properly or whatever, or it's struggling is probably things that are more chronic um, and are less, you know, sort of non-elective, um, elective things or, you know, are less urgent. Um, that's when it becomes problematic, you know, for people living beyond cancer or with cancer and they've gone through active treatment and they're at the other side of it that's when it starts becoming harder to to get that support if you need it because you know there's always going to be as we say there's real long-term effects there's always going to be support needed was there anything that surprised you about radiotherapy that you wish you'd known previously getting you to think back now (laughs) um is there anything that surprised me about yeah yeah, I mean, it does feel like a long time ago now. Um, it would have been 2018 that I had radiotherapy. I mean, it was a surprise that there was something that was quite um, that was quite satisfying and therapeutic about the, the process of going in every day. Um, I never expected that to be the case. Um, I think had you heard of radiotherapy as a as a treatment? Yeah, because we often find that actually patients tend to know more about chemotherapy, and I think sometimes that's because the side effects are quite visible. Yeah, um, you know, if you if you're having a chemotherapy drug that's going to cause you to lose your hair, people will go, "Oh, that person's on chemotherapy." Yeah, um, whereas with radiotherapy, it doesn't always have a visual side effect that people can see. Yeah, um, so interested to know if you'd heard of radiotherapy and therapeutic radiographers prior to, to starting I pro- the treatment. I'm going to be honest, even as a nurse, I hadn't heard of therapeutic radiographers. I wouldn't have known that that's your title. Um, Don't apologise, Claire. We see that <laughs> all the time. Um, this is why we're here, to make sure everyone, no one ever forgets what our title yeah. is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, good for you. But um, it, I mean, I had heard of um, radiotherapy, but I, I mean, I had quite a sort of benign understanding of it, really. Um you know, I, I wasn't scared of it at all. I, in fact, you know, I wasn't, I was so, I was so confident in the NHS and so confident in healthcare professionals that I wasn't scared of any of the process really. Um, not the treatment side of it anyway. Um, I think if anything, it was more that I was surprised that something that was, I, I wasn't aware of every day that I was doing every day um cumulatively had such a huge effect actually I you know it of course it makes sense that you're going every day and you're having this treatment that you know and it's targeted and whatever it makes sense that you may have you know you're gonna have burns you know I, I had some I had burns I had a bliss a couple of blisters um it was painful, but it was it was weird because it was just you know that little bit every day. But at the but then it it was also um, useful in a way because it made me think about the impact it was having on my whole body, 
you know, because at the beginning I was working and I was fine and, uh, you know, I was doing it all. And then after a while I was realizing, okay, no, this is having a real effect. And one thing that somebody said to me once about radiotherapy was um, that you're, I'm not sure if this is true, perhaps you can tell me, but they said that um, your, um, your body is trying to heal the tissues that have been that have had the sort of residual damage from the treatment and so it's zapping your energy because you your body thinks that something's wrong so it's trying to heal it and that's what's kind of causing this tiredness so in a way that the, what was happening to my boob was good because it made me realize okay this is what's happening to my whole body yeah and I think the way I've been explained it and Joe, as you're the educator here I'm hoping I'm saying this right but the way we'd explain it just for anyone listening is if there are any cancerous cells the radiotherapy will destroy them, destroys their DNA. And when they're a dead cell, they need to be removed from the body. That's normal what happens in the body anyway. Even if it's not a cancer cell, any dead cells, it takes energy to get rid of them. That's one kind of mechanism of tiredness and fatigue. And then the other side is any of the normal cells, as you said, Claire, when they're damaged, their cells obviously are damaged. Um, their DNA might break, etc. But they have the ability to regenerate and go back to where they were before. That takes a lot of energy as well, that repair and healing process. Right. So both of those working together in tandem, yeah. patients usually find it's towards the end of treatment. If not, it can peak about, um, there's a bit of debate, but either 7 to 10 days or 10 to 14 days post-radiotherapy. That's when it is because actually right. your body is using all of its energy just to heal that area um, once the radiotherapy is finished. So Joe, I'm hoping I've said that correctly. Yeah, you both get great big ticks next to your name. <laughs> well done. I Thanks, also miss. think as well that you actually get fatigue just from the fact that it's towards the latter end of everything you've gone through. We know with the two-week wait for mm. um, diagnostic tests and then going through surgery, um, you know, if someone has chemotherapy, radiotherapy typically is at the end. And I genuinely think that it's all of that cumulative um, processes that kind of hits that peak whilst you're yeah. going through radiotherapy as well as the psycho psychological impact of having a cancer diagnosis I know that when I've been a patient sitting on my own waiting for an appointment is those times that you you kind of have time to process things and unfortunately sometimes in radiotherapy there is quite a long wait for, yeah. for treatment or appointments or bloods or getting a prescription and it's that yeah. sitting and reflecting I think that is also exhausting you know mentally you're having a lot to cope with so lots lots of processes all happening at once yeah and for some people you know radiotherapy departments aren't close to where they live so they're traveling you know maybe two two and a half hours each way to get yeah. to a radiotherapy department and that in itself can be absolutely exhausting yeah so, you yeah. must have a lot of tears in the waiting room because I certainly know that some of <laughs> I was crying in the waiting room on a couple of occasions yeah, we, I think it is a big part of our role and I think sometimes when you're looking externally you go oh they get to use like 2.2 million pound pieces of equipment it all looks quite like sci-fi artificial intelligence you know yeah. you get to use all this amazing piece of kit but ultimately I think a lot of people who go into the profession are because of that emotional support that they're able to offer to patients and you know the care that you're able to give someone um it's definitely a, a yeah. highly specialized role that has lots of facets to it So Claire, thinking about what you're doing now, so what's your title at, at Copperfield? I'm health information manager. 
So um, yeah, so I write all our health information for um, patients and the, and the public and all of our beneficiaries, but also it's still part of my role to engage with healthcare professionals like yourself and make sure that we're all singing from the same hymn sheet. We're all talking about breast awareness um, because, you know, it just occurred to me really just recently that with other symptoms of cancer, we rely so much on the patient to be able to come to us or whoever the healthcare professional is to say, oh, um, you know, my this mole is new or my bowel habits have changed or I've lost weight, you know. But we, as a healthcare professional, you don't know they don't have that mole. You don't know what their bowel habits are. You don't know what weight they may have been recently. You might not know that. So why should breast awareness be any different? One of the biggest misconceptions in the with the public is that they think that, um, breast exams, which I don't like using that word exams because nobody likes exams, um, but that, that it's something a healthcare professional should do or, you know, something that requires a certain skill. Or, and, you know, we as healthcare professionals, we do kind of learn these things and we are, you know, and that's fine for us. But for the public, it's about saying to them, no, you know your body best than anyone else. You do whatever feels comfortable for you. As long as you know are aware of what the signs and symptoms are you know your breast tissue goes up to your collarbone under your armpits um you know and you're doing it roughly once a month um then you're doing it right and i think that's really the message that we want to get out to the public um because you know every other cancer symptom or many of them we rely on patients to tell us you know that something's wrong so with breast awareness it should be the same as well because some people have like inverted nipples or some people might have lumps around their period if they have periods or whatever um, but we rely on them to be able to tell us that. So we want to be able to empower people to say, don't be scared. You know your body. You, you know, you come and see us if if there's anything that's not normal for you. So that's my, had to get that in. Sorry. That's my big plug for that. No, no, absolutely not. I have to, I was going to plug Copperfield anyway, actually, to be honest, because it's an amazing charity. Um, it's great that it gets lots of support from kind of celebrities. So, you know, for people who have never come across the charity you just need to have a look at maybe some of the ambassadors that you use and um, it's it's quite a high profile breast cancer charity but beyond that kind of marketing PR facing side of things I think actually the website is amazing so um, using some of the resources so I've recently just ordered our breast self-examination poster to go on the shower wall oh, at work great. Um, and I've I've got one of the boobets to come and do a talk hopefully great. at the university and I've also Claire signed up I, I, you know one of these moments of madness when you're <laughs> like oh yeah be fun so I've just signed up um to maybe do either the Sahara or a trek um is it in Wales it's in Pembrokeshire yeah and I have to tell you that I hope that I'm going to be doing the trek in the Sahara so I hope that you come as well (laughs) oh see that would be amazing I haven't even told my husband yet so uh (laughs) yeah that'll be interesting conversation when I go oh yeah just to let you know next week although he wouldn't be surprised coming from me he's like oh okay then oh I do these weird and random challenges (laughs) there's no way he'd be surprised that you're suddenly going off to do a trek somewhere across the world and you probably still keep in touch with him and do a podcast or something while you're there oh yeah absolutely I did laugh once actually because I abseiled down one of the university buildings and I said to him and a friend I said oh will you just uh, come and pick me up from work he was like oh yeah no that's fine and then, then on the way I was just like oh look at my view I just texted a picture he's like where are you I'm like oh I'm just on the roof 
He's like, what are you doing? Have you had a fire alarm or something? I'm like, no. Oh, wow. Turns up and I'm abseiling down this building. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I like to do weird and crazy things every now and then. Oh, Um, Joe, I really hope you're going to be with, I hope we're both going to be in the Sahara. It would be so nice to have a healthcare professional there and someone someone that I know. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, yeah, it would be great. It would be great if we're both there. So let's see. Let's watch this space. Yeah. Are you sure about this? Because remember, she'll be telling everyone, hi, my name's Joe. I'm a therapeutic radiographer. Do you know what that is? No? Well, we've got the whole Sahara to walk now. I'm going to tell you for the entire journey what I do. Oh, amazing. I do. I do. I have to say, though, I did love the application form because uh, it's just about you, isn't it? Yeah. So you just have to really think about yourself and what maybe you can contribute. But um, it was funny when they ask you what you think you'd miss most. And I was like, makeup and my straight hair. <laughs> know it for my hair today, but um, I've, I just thought, you know, how shallow that makes me sound. No, um, I think but... I think it will it will do it will stand you in good stead with the Copperfield team. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. But yeah, for anyone out there who's in healthcare, but also from a patient perspective, students, educators, the resources are absolutely amazing. Um, And even down to linking to the curriculum for schools, I think is absolutely brilliant. And even kind of saying that I was doing a podcast tonight with my family, it was like, oh, you know, do... Well, I don't need to worry because I don't, I, I don't have breast tissue, and I'm like, no, you do. <laughs> Males get breast cancer too. So, but it is, it's always stimulating that conversation, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Although anyone around me gets sick of hearing about cancer. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah. Well, thank you. We've we've worked hard, and and just you know, over the past couple of years as well, we, a lot has changed about our, you know, what we offer and our website. Um, and we've got a self checkout now, which is um like a, a digital online app. <laughs> It's digital it's yeah, of course it's digital <laughs> i'm i'm 104 by the way um, but, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah yeah um yeah no it's an online app so basically if you if you don't if you don't check your boobs pecs chest breasts whatever you call them or if you know anyone who doesn't and wants a bit of help getting started then the self-checkout's great it really just takes you through it answers some of those common like faqs and it just takes you through the process of kind of starting to check so that you can build that confidence but yeah we've got packs as well for healthcare professionals any healthcare professionals listening um you can go on our website and there's an in healthcare page and you can order a free pack of materials so leaflets for patients badges for staff all kinds of things and then all the health information on there as well on the website um copperfield.org is all new um so any information that you might want from whether it's about breast implants or um pregnancy breastfeeding any information like that then um it's all on the website so um yeah go and have a look it's brilliant and you can get a text every month as well you can i've seen that i do love your social media on copperfield um, <laughs> it's lots of great memes oh. i think the one this week or last week um with the dale was great <laughs> <laughs> thank you yeah our social media manager is fantastic honestly i i'm so baffled as you as i just said i'm 104 years old so i'm baffled by most like tiktok i'm baffled by all of it um our social man- media manager though is fantastic meg <laughs> shout out to meg <laughs> Well done, Meg. <laughs> Claire, within your role, with obviously with the self-reporting tool and stuff, um, I know we've had Ina Butt on before talking about sort of Southeast Asian community and kind of chest or breast awareness, etc. 
how have you found the engagement with sort of communities that might find it a bit harder to talk about a chest examination yeah well we we we're trying but we've got a lot of work to do um so we know that those health inequalities exist um we know in terms of breast cancer outcomes um uh south asian women um and um black african and black caribbean women are much more likely to be diagnosed at stage four um than white women um there are many health inequalities as well with the lgbtq community um and pregnant women also um, with breast cancer are more likely, if they're diagnosed with breast cancer, are more likely to be diagnosed at stage four. Um, so we know those health inequalities exist. What, we're, what we've tried to do in some small way is just create some more resources um, targeted at those kind of groups of people. So um, we're creating some more resources for pregnant women. Um, we've had our um, the importance of checking leaflet, which is our sort of core um, information leaflet, translated into other languages, including including Bengali and Punjabi, to try and bridge that gap, really, um, for South Asian women. Um, but um, I am always open to suggestions. Um, it's we, we are only kind of early days and trying to um, address some of these health inequalities and, and do make some of these extra resources. Um, we're a very small team, so um, we try and shout loud, louder than our size, um, and um, we do a good job of that, but um, we're a small team, but we're growing. Um, and so if anyone has any suggestions of how we can kind of, um, on a grassroots level, I guess, as well, um, improve um, engagement with those communities, then I'm really all ears because, um, because it's really important. It's one thing to know that those health inequalities exist, but it's another, it's another thing entirely to actually um try and you know um put your money where your mouth is and actually do something about it um but um but that that's that's where we've tried to make an impact so far um but yeah it's it's not easy and we have to change some of our outlook as well and how our tone of voice and branding and everything is you know we're very kind of out there and we use the sort of colloquial word boobs because it puts people at ease but we have to also be aware of the fact that it's not always going to be right and it's not always going to be for the right audiences and um we have to sort of adapt really lang adapt with language and um and try and um adapt in a way that's inclusive as well as accessible so um so yeah we have our work cut out no it sounds like it's on the right track i think terminology is something we've come across all the time haven't we joan podcast that mm. actually it's something that we all need to sort of work on but it's yeah it's all about educating and moving forward um and i know you touched on the kind of the inclusivity part um i did read on your website this is something i don't really know enough about to be honest but that copperfield was a bloody good employer that i read yeah <laughs> said to do with the period poverty charity i just thought it'd be quite nice i know we've discussed on doing a menopause kind of series in the future obviously it's this is for me that i need to learn about yeah yeah oh please yeah get in touch with uh, i mean um bloody good period is the name of the charity they have a scheme as you say bloody good employers um and um copperfield is a bloody good employer and we are going through that process now so we've been having sort of um webinars and workshops about how we can um you know be a, a better employer when it comes to um periods um and our understanding of periods and how we manage it so um we're going through that process at the moment absolutely get in touch with bloody good period i big shout out to them as well they're a great charity um and they're doing great work so um so yeah we're very proud to be a bloody good employer 
I can't wait, Claire, to do a podcast on periods and menopause and uh, knowing that Naaman's going to be sitting there knowing everything about my menstrual cycle because <laughs> I'm pretty open about everything. So, uh, yeah, he's probably already cringing inside going, no, there's only so much I can know about Joe. <laughs> I mean... Not at all. It's an important topic area. I might have a daughter one day. I need to learn all these things. So. There you go. Yeah, I mean, it's for everyone. I mean, again, like, you know, we... we um, we know that we are not the most diverse group at Copperfield. Um, we uh, don't currently have a man working with us, but we um, we did. We don't anymore. Um, but we uh, but we when we did the workshop with um, Bloody Good Period, they were saying, you know, it's just we don't do a thing anymore where we separate out. I think I read something the other day where they were saying, you know, when you were at school, when I was at school anyway, a million years ago, and they'd have the period conversation, all the boys would go out of the room, and now they're like, they we still don't do, do that it. anymore. They still do it claire oh it's terrible i was gonna say yeah exactly it still happens it's terrible you know because honestly it's shocking sometimes i think men of my age and older like (laughs) what their their understanding is and and you know and the other way around as well it's important for us to all know what's going on you know with each other because we 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 interact with each other so but yeah bloody good period are fantastic so definitely recommend approaching them So Claire, we're getting towards the end of the podcast. Do you have any hints or tips for anyone listening, um, whether that be patients, healthcare professionals, students? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've I've been banging on about this anyway, but really it's just get to know your body. Don't be scared. You know, I always, I, I, I uh, volunteered as a boobette as well, uh, who are our volunteers that we have at Copperfield who have had experiences with breast cancer themselves. Um, and they go into schools and colleges and workplaces and talk about um, talk about their experience of breast cancer. And, and I always used to say the same thing to them, which is don't, you know, get to know your body. Don't be scared of it. Don't be embarrassed of it, you know, because you only get one. So you might as well look after it and be proud of it. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes... I, I obviously I love I love the NHS I love healthcare professionals I think that they're all fantastic and big pat on the back but you know sometimes that we can over clinicalize if that's a word things and it's scary for the public and I think the message that I'd want to get out is you know your body if you're scared or, or concerned or worried you know um trust your gut I would say is it was a really big one and that's a big one that we always say at Copperfield as well um you know get to know your body um is kind of a universal message for everyone really so that would be my advice oh thank you so much and you know I'm hoping whoever's listening is so much vital information we've discussed and I think hearing patient voice as you said about empowering people it's really really nice to hear so thank you so much for sharing your story with us for, for everything really um, but yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for having me <laughs> thank you to everyone for listening to Rad Chat um, so your hosts today have been Naaman Joel Ganson and Joe McNamara um, so yeah huge thank you to Claire O'Neill um, head over to our YouTube page to see a live recording of this podcast um, if you're utilising this podcast for CPD purposes consider the reflective questions posted uh, along with any links to resources and literature we've discussed to receive your accredited CPD certificate please complete the Google form linked with the podcast um, our next guest to feature will be Julian McCrossan uh, who will be discussing her experience of having cancer and the amazing work she does to promote health and support for cancer patients thank you for listening and take care